0: Nice work, nice work, everyone. Your voices were in great form, and what a powerful name it is. You know, Jesus, a real quick side note, is we worship a living God. That's what's different about Christianity. Every other religion, philosophy out there worships a dead God. I love how I heard a study this week where Pastor Larry Osborne says, we don't worship a loser God, we worship a live God. And that's what's great, is he pursues us to the end of the earth to capture our hearts. And that's what we heard today in these great testimonies with annie and jr and brandon and i'm so grateful and i I gotta tell you i don't normally get too nervous but there's something about baptism day that gets me all fired up when i hear these stories of people going from death to life so i'm gonna have to calm down a lot my heart rate's going about 190 minutes beats a minute so i'm gonna pray and just ask god to bring my blood pressure down a little bit so that i don't have a stroke up here that would be very bad you're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Well, let's pray and then we'll get right into the word. Lord, thank you for this day. It's a day that you've ordained since the beginning of time for these to proclaim you as Lord. You had them in mind at the beginning of creation. And so, Lord, we give you all the glory for the work that you are doing here. Lord, illuminate these words that I will speak today. May they be your words and not my words. And as my regular prayer, Lord, I pray that you would increase and that I would decrease. And so, Lord, do a work in our midst here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was about two years into the Cactus Campus when I had one of my superior officers of the church come and ask me a question. I had several, several superior officers. I think they were worried about me. They didn't know who I was. They were scared to death letting this guy go all the way over to North Phoenix and do something with this church. And so this one superior officer came to me one particular day, and he said, Are you happy doing what you're doing and I was freaked out at that question. I thought, oh my goodness, is this a trick question? Am I, am I exuding some type of unhappiness right now? Or am or I exuding too much happiness? What's the point of this question? And then I began to think, if I don't answer this question relatively quick... It's going to be an answer for this person. So, in nanoseconds, I'm processing how I think this particular person wanted me to answer that question. And so, as I'm processing, I'm again to think about baptism days, and I'm going, "Oh my goodness! There's nothing greater than hearing these stories of people that go from death to life." And I couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of that. But then I'm not foolish enough to think on Monday I'm going to get a phone call from a marriage that's in crisis, that's in ruins. And then all of a sudden on Tuesday, I'm going to get a phone call that a new baby has been born in our congregation. I get to go to the hospital, and we get to see this fresh little baby, this fresh little life. And then all of a sudden on Thursday, I'm going to be holding the hand of a widow in that same hospital who just lost her husband. And so on any given day, I could have tremendous highs and tremendous lows. And so I began to think, how do I answer this question, am I happy doing what I'm doing? And so before I tell you the answer to that question, I I think about you all, and I can't believe I'm any different than you. That if I was to ask you that same question from day to day, are you happy doing what you're doing, you might think it's a trick question. You might be wondering what's my purpose behind that, because I would imagine you're no different from me. Perhaps you just had this precious little baby, and you're thinking it's so sweet and so innocent, and then all of a sudden you realize in just two years they've become evil. <laughs> you recognize that they have the same sinful nature that you do, and then and then something happens around ten and you go, Oh, they made the baseball team, I'm so proud of you. And then all of a sudden fourteen, they become evil again. <laughs> And so on any given time as a parent, I think we can ration, or figure this out, that on any given day, I may be happier, I may not be happier. Maybe it's in a relationship that you have that you had that glorious wedding day where I just went through one of those and we paid way too much money for pictures. But that's a side, side comment. And you get this photo album of all these perfect pictures of this perfect day. And then seven years later, you want to kill the person who's living with you. Not literally, but let's say figuratively. That, that marriage doesn't look any more like that photo album. Or maybe it's a relationship you have with a friend you've grown up with, your best friends, you just have all these great stories, great highs and highs and lows and lows that you've shared together, and then all of a sudden one day they stab you in the back. And you're thinking to yourself, am I happy doing what I'm doing? And so before I tell you my answer to that question, I want to go to Scripture. I want to share with you a story from Scripture. And it's a story from the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, if you were to ask him on any given day, are you happy doing what you're doing? It would be amazing to hear what he would say. But what's fun is we do get to hear what he says in this passage that I'm going to share with you. Now, for those of you who are somewhat new to church, the Apostle Paul was one of these Just radical guys who was part of a religious sect called the Pharisees. These these were the the tough guys who were just making sure the law of Moses was being held to every single day. But he also had another characteristic to him. He was a Roman citizen, which afforded him a lot of privilege, a lot of status, and probably some resources. And all of a sudden, one day, God met him. They met him on the road, as it says to Damascus, as he's riding a donkey, and this bright light came down and blinded him, knocked him off of this donkey, and he was blind for several days. And during that time, he had a change of heart. There was this voice from heaven that had screamed down as that light came out. They said, Saul, which was his Hebrew name, because he was both Jewish and Roman. Saul, why do you persecute me? And his life was radically changed at that point. And in those days in which he was blind, God spoke to the friend who was ministering to him at that time. And he said, oh, this Paul is going to pay dearly for following me. He's going to run against persecution the rest of his life. And so when you hear these stories, which I'm not going to one of the obvious stories today because Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was bitten by a snake. Paul was put in prison several times. Paul was beaten to within an inch of his life on several occasions. And I think at any given point in time, if you would have said, Paul, are you happy doing what you're doing? I wonder what his answer would have been. But it's easy for us if we were in those situations, which fortunately most of us aren't, but the situation that we're going to look at today is probably one that's a little more closer that we can maybe relate to. And then we're going to hear specifically how Paul responded to that. And I'm going to tell you that Paul responded each time to these types of trials and tribulations. Because one thing, whether you're a Christian here this morning or you're not a Christian, I promise you this, and you can, you can take this to the bank, there will be trouble this side of heaven. Whether you're a Christian or not, you know it for a fact. And so we're going to read about one of these times where I think we can relate to this story of Paul. So I want you to turn to the book of Second Corinthians and get to chapter 2. And we're going to go through that passage, just about four verses. And I'm going to lead you through a journey of when Paul reaches this crisis of, am I happy doing what I'm doing? And then we get to hear his response. And then we get to hear his lesson to us this morning of how we're supposed to respond in those circumstances. And then we're ultimately going to hear where that power comes from to respond. And so if you're there... Second Corinthians chapter 2 I'm going to begin in verse 12 and it's going to be up here on the screen for you. So it says when I this is Paul came to Troas to preach the gospel even though a door was open for me in the Lord in verse 13 and I've highlighted here my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there so I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. I just want to key on that little phrase there, my spirit was not at rest. Troas is a little city that's in Turkey, and then he decides he's supposed to meet Titus there. And Titus, it was very important. Not only was Titus his buddy, so I think he was looking forward to some of that story of Paul. Paul traveled all over the Middle East, all over Africa, all over Europe to share the gospel. And I think in a little part of him, he was lonely and he wanted to see his brother Titus. And so he was a little unrest about that. But more importantly, this is the book of 2 Corinthians. And so that would indicate that there was a first book of Corinthians. And so there's a book called 1 Corinthians. And that was a letter that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth. So you have Troas, which is in modern day Turkey, Macedonia, and then you have Corinth, which is the very bottom of Greece. Now, this was a church that Paul had established and got them on their way, and they were fired up for Jesus. But then they drifted. And listen to what it says about this church that drifted. Now, if you think Las Vegas is the city of sin, woo, Corinth has got to beat. With, the, with one exception, I think They didn't have slot machines, but they probably had other gambling devices. But listen to what they were known for. They were known for their selfishness, their worldliness, their sin, their sexual perversion, their incest, their idolatry. They fought with each other. They took each other to court. They were confused about marriage. They were confused about singleness. Divorce was rampant. They abused their original freedom in Christ and took it as a liberty to do anything. And so Paul had written this letter in 1 Corinthians to this church, calling them out and telling them to repent and go back to the ways they know how to live. And Paul was anxiously awaiting to hear how that letter was received. He didn't know if he was going to be hung when he went back to Corinth. He didn't know if he was going to be beaten. He didn't know any of this. All he knew was he needed to hear a response, and that response was going to come through Titus. And so his spirit was not at rest. Now, not like being shipwrecked or bitten by a snake or in prison, I think there's several times in which we find our spirit not at rest. It could be at work, it could be at school, it could be in our neighborhood, it could be in our home, it could be anywhere where our spirit is not at rest. And that can take us on a journey here or there or everywhere, and sometimes it takes us to places that aren't very productive. Productive. But here's the great good news of this passage. As, as we continue to read, we hear what Paul's immediate response is. And I say immediate because the next verse does not say, so Paul kind of kicked a can all the way to Macedonia going, where's Titus? He doesn't like me. Those dumb Corinthians, why don't they ever respond? No, he didn't do anything like that. Look at verse 14. Notice something about Paul that he doesn't stay in this moment where his where his spirit remains at unrest for too long. He says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. I just want to stay there for just a minute. Paul immediately gave thanks for his situation. He did not dwell on it. We don't hear any of this lamenting. We hear an immediate awakening. And thanks, God, thanks to god for this situation because he remembers this he remembers that god always leads us in triumphal procession now for us that term triumphal procession it doesn't ring true for us as it did in the roman empire up on the screen you'll see some archaeology that was dug up and this is this is scenes from all over the former roman empire and what's significant about this and why we know it was a triumphal procession. And what a triumphal procession was when the Romans came into town and they conquered you, they threw a big party. And they got on horses and the soldiers were there. They even brought the prisoners with them. The whole town came out to celebrate. What The reason we know this is one of those is because what was special was the emperor or the general who conquered the people at that time was on a chariot driven by four white horses. And so these are found all over the Roman Empire. So when he uses the word that God always leads us in triumphal procession, the people of that time had immediate recognition to what he was talking about. Now I found a couple paintings that kind of give you a little bit bigger picture the grandeur of what a triumphal procession looked like in the Roman Empire. And I have another picture up here that will show those four white horses again, again, just like that. And you can see the expanse, the, the celebration, the victory of conquering what, who they've just conquered. And there was a direct correlation to why Paul would use this example to say Paul that God always leads us in triumphal procession, because God always conquers for us. God conquers through Our sin. God conquers through our faith. God conquers through our unbelief. God always leads us in triumphal procession. So Paul doesn't stay in his circumstance very long in this unrest period. Paul immediately gives thanks to God because he says, oh yeah, that's right. You delivered me from prison. You delivered me from almost drowning in a shipwreck. You delivered me from being bit by a poisonous snake. You led me in triumphal procession. You always lead me in triumphal procession. So now his mind is reoriented on what is really driving him in this moment in which he finds unrest. And so we continue on in this passage in verses 14, the rest of 14 and 16. That he always leads us in triumphal procession, but listen to this, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. If we go back to this last picture, you'll notice there was a a little flame that was burning here. That was very significant as well. There was incest, there was an aroma, there was a fragrance that would blow through that triumphal procession. It was the smell of victory. And what God's calling us to do and what Paul is reminding us is that when we're in this circumstance that maybe we have some unrest with, immediately reorient your mind to being thankful to God because he leads us in triumphal procession. And we're supposed to follow him. And as we follow him, we become an aroma or a fragrance. And those are the two words I want to concentrate in this part of the passage that he calls us into following him into triumphal procession through an aroma and through a fragrance. And all those words sound similar. They're slightly different. The aroma, let me camp on that for just a moment. That word in the original language literally just means an aroma, smell, an odor. And that could be a good odor or that could be a bad odor. Now, some of you don't know this about me, but when I was 16 years old, I went to Dairy Queen Management School <laughs> in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was one of the youngest guys to ever go to that school, and I was taught how to run a Dairy Queen store. I was taught how to purchase things. I was taught how to price out things. Uh, more importantly, I was taught how to cook things so that you didn't kill people. That was kind of a big deal. Um, I was taught how to make the... What's, what, what, I spent one entire afternoon perfecting the swirl. It's called the swirl, which is the little D on top of the... And we never call it ice cream, we always call it Dairy Queen. So the swirl on top of the Dairy Queen. I spent an entire afternoon perfecting that. Just like that. (laughs) And what amazed me, because I'm kind of a marketing guy, was what they taught us next. They wanted to, 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 to do something that would draw people to the store. And so they're very specific on their instructions on how to wire the exhaust fan for the hamburger cooker. And you can see it up here. (laughs) You all know what I'm talking about. At about 11 o'clock, you fire up the old grill and you start letting that smoke go out in the neighborhood. And it would draw people to your store like just, ha-ha, I smelled the burgers. Just like that. Especially in Minnesota when it's snowing all the time and you don't have anything else to do. You just kind of go to the hamburger smell. And so... What I found fascinating was that was one way to attract people in. But if you didn't have quality and value and service and cleanliness, QVSC, that was the thing that was driven into me at 16 years old. If you didn't have people there to greet you, if if your product wasn't good, um, if it wasn't a clean store, if there wasn't value, people would not come back. And so God's calling us to be that aroma, Forget about our circumstances. We are called in every situation to be an aroma. And notice that it doesn't distinguish whether we're a good aroma or a bad aroma. It just says an aroma. So we're to be a smell and an odor. We're supposed to be hamburger exhaust, essentially going out into this community, drawing people into our lives, drawing people into the stores of our lives. And I hope and pray that what they see is quality, value, service, and cleanliness, because that's where we shift to this word fragrance. Fragrance, in the original language, is a sweet smell. It's a fragrance that is pleasing to God, because that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to be an aroma in our homes, in our schools, in our jobs, drawing people into the stores of our lives, but ultimately pointing them to Christ. We're to be an aroma and a fragrance for Christ. And I want to just wrap up with this last verse because we can't do that completely on our own. And so Paul reminds us because he starts, but thanks be to God. And then he wraps up this where in verse 16, I love this, he says, Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not. Like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, women of sincerity. As commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So we can blow as much hamburger smoke out into the neighborhood as we want, but we are not sufficient in our own strength to draw people to Christ. We are commissioned by him and we speak in Christ. It is not about us. It's not about our circumstances. It's that Christ has already led us in triumphal procession. And what's fascinating about that triumphal procession, I mentioned it at the beginning, and maybe you didn't catch it, but it was the living and the dying that were brought through in procession. The ones who were the conquerors and the ones who were conquered were part of that procession. God, through Paul, is telling us we are to be an aroma, a fragrance, this sweet smell that's pleasing to God among us, because people are being saved and people are perishing. There are people in our lives right now that are dying who have never smelled this aroma, have never smelled this fragrance. And so Paul is reminding us that it's not about your circumstances. And, and trust me here, I'm not discounting any of your circumstances. There's gonna be stuff you're going through that I admit and I know is hard. I've gone through some things that are hard. But you can't stay there that long. That's why you're part of a church community. We help build you up. We help strengthen you, encourage you to move through that time so that you can say confidently, but thanks to God because he leads us in this triumphal procession. Now, I know you've all been wondering. I've had people say it since I walked in here. I heard people murmuring in the background when they saw the title of this sermon. What does a cactus smell like? Now, they don't teach you those types of things in seminary. I'll tell you that. They come up with much more eloquent sermon titles. But I began to think about, since we've been open a little over six years, I wonder, what does the cactus campus smell like? What is the aroma that we are putting off? And notice that the aroma doesn't talk about a building. It talks about you. This building was closed, and now it's open. The only thing that's different about it is you. And the Holy Spirit has come and met you right where you work. And this is an encouraging message because I want to give you a quick report on what the aroma is of the cactus campus, what a cactus smells like. Every time we put out the call, every time I put out a plea to you to support us in this ministry, you deliver And I know we are not a rich congregation. I know we do not live in Scottsdale. I know we are North Phoenix solid people over here. We're hardy Viking people from Minnesota that have come here to proclaim the good news of gospel through hamburger smoke in this neighborhood. But just recently, Larkspur Elementary School reached out to us and 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 for those you don't know we we have four ministries that we support outside of our on campus ministries that we do we have the house of refuge it's a great transition facility we have titus house i love the guys over there. We have Mentor Kids USA which is an after-school program over at Palomino. We do Paradise Valley Emergency Food Bank where we collect food and I love that we just collect food every week and that's my only request, just bring a can of soup every week because all of that goes right back into our immediate neighborhood and through them they pack about 400, you pack about 400 bags of food every single Friday to deliver to the kids in these local schools so that they can eat over the weekend and so I constantly am amazed at this campus and it was about two, it'll be two weeks tomorrow, we had collected the final day for Larkspur, the teachers just needed simple things like paper and Clorox wipes and dry erase markers and you guys blew my mind. It was all stacked up in our office because we'd already taken one load over to the school. But I wanted to get out of the office, and I'm just carrying this back to where we're storing it. And I was overwhelmed with gratitude. I was overwhelmed that this just simple people of North Phoenix would respond in such a way. And I was just so thankful to God that he allows me to work alongside of you to do this. And so just last Saturday we did, we went in there and we painted a calming room. You know, kids have a hard time um, sometimes in school and they have a room set aside for those kids that are a little bit more dangerous. And the room they had was just a stark white room with bright lights and it didn't seem overly calming. And so we know the principal, Jamie Roberson, real well and she reached out to me and she said, is there anything you could do to help us with that? So we painted this room, we got these... These sweet covers for the lights that now look like clouds. And I want to read for you the letter that she wrote to me. Really, she wrote to you. It says, Good morning, Rick. I headed to my computer about 50 times this week to send you a quick thank you email. And each time was distracted or requested in a different room. We are of course sending a proper thank you card to Scottsdale Bible, but I was really trying to send you an email this week to let you know how much we appreciate you and your congregation. The calming room is absolutely beautiful. The paint and the light filters have changed the environment in this room and has made it so inviting for our students with sensory issues. Having Having your support is allowing us to reach so many of our kids. Thank you so much for everything you do for us. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Sincerely, Jamie. They put this sign up on their marquee sign in the middle of the neighborhood, thanking Scottsdale Bible Church for their support. So our hamburger smoke is reaching all the way over to 24th Street, just north of Cactus Road. And a public school knows that we exist. There's a book that, that I love, it's called The Church of Irresistible Influence, and there's a statement in there that says, if your church was to close, would anybody know? And a really quick story on that, it was about a year after we had opened up here, and there was a copier salesman who came to the door. And I knew it was a copier salesman because he had a Konica little badge here, and we have Toshiba, so I knew there was... I knew there was going to be a little engagement that was going to go on. So he comes to the door, and he says, Hi, I'm here to service your copier. And I thought, that's a good line, but I can see you're a Kanaka guy, worked Toshiba. He says, No, I have the contract right here. And what was amazing, it was a contract for the old church. He didn't know the church had been closed for about two years. And I got to tell you, I keep a reminder of that on my desk. This is a little jar filled with keys. And these keys went to all the padlocks for all the chain link fence that was wrapped around this property when it was closed. And it's just a gentle reminder to me when I met with the Episcopal Church. They said, don't lose sight of this community. We did. And we died from the inside. We died from the inside. So what I'm trying to do this morning is to encourage you, encourage you from the inside to be an aroma, a fragrance. And what I'm excited about is we have about 150 to 200 new people that have called this place home over the last year. There's now between six and 700 of you, and I'd like to get you all involved. And so I've got two things that I want you to think about today. Actually, two and a half. One's really easy, but two things that I want you to think about today. Next week, we're going to have a serving fair. And at that serving fair, we're going to highlight all of our ministries. The ministry leaders are going to be there both on campus and off campus. So if you're going to be here next week, make sure you go see one of them and see how you can get involved in this work. And I'm just trying to make it easy for you. You don't have to do what I say. You can do this anywhere you feel led to do, but I want to give you an easy access point to that. But statistics also say that between 20 and 30 percent of you will not be here next week. And so I wanted to capture you today because right now you're feeling moved and you're feeling called. And so I printed up some cards for you, and either you were given them on the way in or you can grab one on the way out, but I would love for you to just put your name on there if you're not involved in some way, some fashion now. Just put your name and some contact information. You don't have to say, hey, I really love walking dogs. I really love any of this. You don't have to say anything. Just put your name, and I will contact you and spend some time with you and find a, a good fit for you on this campus or in this community. But I want to encourage you. We are a blessing to this community. But there is so much more to do. And this is a time in which we get sharpened. Because that can only happen, because I love that passage when Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? And he says, oh no, you're not. And you're going, Rick, you've just spent about 30 minutes or so telling us that we are the ones. Well, no, it's Christ who works through us. And that's why you're here this morning as you're being reminded that it's Christ who does this work through the power of his resurrection. Because through that resurrection, he is ultimately now leading us in triumphal procession today and when he comes again. And when he comes again, there's going to be a loud trumpet and there will be a big triumphal procession because Jesus has already conquered the world. When I said that you can Promise, I know all of you, Christian and non-Christian, know this, that there's trouble in this world. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And when that final procession comes, what a glorious day it will be. And so I want you, if you don't know this, Jesus, to be a part of that. And so I would love to talk to you as we pray here to close. Oh, I said two and a half. So we have a serving card, we have a serving fare, and I want you to grab some of these as you leave. In two weeks we have our big trunk or treat and there's a neat hole that fits right on a doorknob. And so you can put those in your neighborhood, do it at night so no one's looking. If you see, if, if you see they have the ring or the nest or whatever it is that has the camera on it, then put a ski mask on and then, no, don't do that because then you'll call me from prison and I don't want you to do that. Um, I didn't answer my question, did I? Are you dying to know what I answered? So this whole message was playing through my head in nanoseconds when the superior officer said, are you happy doing what you're doing? And I thought for a minute. I knew I had to answer relatively quickly because he would think I'd given the answer by not answering. I said, I don't think God's overly concerned with my happiness. I think he's more concerned with my obedience. He's more concerned that I would be walking in his will than my happiness. Because he said there will be these momentary inflictions. There will be trials. There will be tribulations. But don't focus on that. Thanks be to God who leads us in triumphal procession, who calls us to be an aroma, a fragrance for him. And just in case you think it's about you, remember that you are not sufficient for that. It's Christ who works through you. So my hope and my prayer today is that we would desire more of the object of our happiness, which is Christ, than our happiness. That we would desire Christ more than our healing, Christ more than our sad times, Christ more than our circumstances. That's my desire. Because with that, this passage I want to leave you with is a passage that really changed me when I got to thinking about that question, am I happy doing what I'm doing? And it's found in Philippians 4. And Philippians 4.13 is the one you always know about. It's the one I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. But if you look at the verses before that, this is how I answered further that question. Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned. That's something that doesn't just come immediately through our circumstances, we learn this, that in whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now you know what a cactus smells like. It's not hamburger smell. It's a sweet fragrance, a sweet smell that Christ has done a great work in your lives and you want everyone to know about it. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your timeless truth, your timeless message. And Lord, I pray for those that are here today. I did not mean to make light of any of our circumstances because those are real. But Lord, I wanted to encourage this congregation that you have already conquered that circumstance. May we have been reminded of it today. May we be pointed to you. And may we continue to be a light. May we continue to be a aroma, a sweet fragrance in this community. Lord, I'm thankful for this place. And there isn't a day that goes by that I don't believe this is exactly where you want me to be. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let love be genuine. Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And you just heard what is good. Christ working through you. Bless you, and we'll see you next week.